hello, hello. Welcome, Charlton fans, back to another episode of Brownie and Benji. It's me, Benji, and I'm joined today by Charlton former center back legend Steve Brown. More than 240 appearances for the club. Back from our international break. How are you doing today, Stevie? Steve? Very well, Benji. Very well. Um, missing, missing football a little bit. You know, we've, had, uh, we've had quite a long break, haven't we, since the last game. I managed mm. to sneak one in Aston Villa. Uh, Fulham um, and Fulham basically got what they deserved in the end. But yeah, yeah, I could do with another couple of games coming quite quickly. Missing it. Yeah, we were we were talking before we went on air about how we thought it was such a shame that the game on Tuesday against Lincoln was uh, postponed in part because Lincoln are in such shocking form, but in part because we just need more football. We've gotten used to two games a week, three games a week, and that's suddenly telling us one game a week, and that is just not acceptable. <laughs> but um, no, absolutely, yeah, no, I agree. It's um, and I think it would have come at a good time actually. Mm. They're, they're not in particularly great form. We seem to be not just um. You know, in terms of results, picking up points, but we there seems to be a buoyancy about the whole place at the moment, which I'm picking up through, you know, little bits and pieces I read and see. Obviously, the results are great, but it just seems to be a really good feel factor over the last two weeks. And you have to credit Nigel Atkins mm. for that. You know, the way he conducts himself um, in interviews, the mm. way he conducts himself uh, on social media. I don't see all of his social media. I don't follow him. I probably will follow him eventually, but I don't at the moment. But I do get to see some retweets and some anyone that's liked it that I know it comes through. He's an extremely positive guy. Yeah. And that is rubbing off. It really is rubbing off mm-hmm. at the moment. Yeah, and you can you can see it and I and I guess also a big helping hand and sort of sort of helping push that positive momentum and helping push that positivity because it's a lot harder when you're not winning. But Friday, back from the international break, getting a huge 1-0 win at Doncaster. I think it maybe isn't an exaggeration to say going in, it may have been the biggest game of the season. Doncaster were one of the few teams that were starting to sort of fold a little bit and Charlton getting to play them, obviously needing to pick up points against their rivals. Big 1-0 win, Ian Motson getting the winner in the 12th minute. What, what did you make of that one, Brownie? that game I, I actually don't sit and watch too many games Benji but that one I sat down and watched much to the annoyance of my wife because uh, <laughs> it's good Friday <laughs> but um, yeah I watched it uh, I thought I thought Doncaster played quite well actually mm. however they just they just lack a cutting edge don't they and um, and that played into our hands a little bit obviously Nigel made the changes he made uh, I, I fully understood one or two of them and the reasoning behind one or two of them. I didn't listen to his interview, so I'm not quite sure what he said mm. after or before. But um, certainly I understood why he went the way he did defensively uh, and moved Martson. I didn't realise Martson could go sort of up front. But you, you know, with his, with his athleticism, you can understand why. And mm-hmm. I quite like the fact he reversed the wingers over and narrowed the pitch up by them driving inside and then the fullbacks could attack on the outside. You know, I don't mind that as a tactic, to be honest. It's one I've used in the past. But the important thing, Benji, was to get a result. Um, the icing on the cake was the clean sheet because mm. there's nothing better for a manager than, than than getting clean sheets early days in your in, in your tenure. And and I think from listening to a couple of interviews, that's where Nigel will want to start, or he has started, mm-hmm. is to stop goals first, and then we'll go through the units and we'll build up and, and make us a, a more attacking threat as we go on. But the other thing I quite like is is um. I mean, he put his youthful players in attacking areas wide, you know, right and left. Uh, and we had pace and we had power in those areas. And um, I quite like that. And, and, and I quite like the fact he got a, 
a little bit more of an experienced fullback in, mm. uh, you know, with a bit more physical presence. Because I'm not, I'm not putting Martin down by any stretch of the imagination. But if you analyse the goal, certainly against Shrewsbury, Benji, uh, you can look at the two left siders for that goal. They got mixed up in who they were picking up. Miller almost ended up at left back. Martin came out late to the ball, couldn't get near mm-hmm. it. That affected our back line and how they manoeuvred across and it left uh, Gunter uh, wide, out, uh, a gap between him and, and the centre-half. So that certainly was down to them. I thought AFC Wimbledon goal was certainly down to, to Martin. I thought his positioning was really poor. He decided to come out of the pocket when he was marking nobody. And I think Nigel's probably seen those two mm. goals that we've conceded there and thought, I'm just going to go with a bit more experience, a bit more physicality. Because another thing, it's a bonus if your left and right back can pick up at set pieces. Yeah. So if you've got, if you've got players that are playing in the fullback position that are man markers as well, that's a massive tick. You know, if you've got Prattley sitting in central midfield and he can mark as well, there's another tick. Because you do need five or six good, strong aerial players to, to, to deal with the set pieces for you, particularly in League One. Um, and, and I quite liked all the, 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 the changes he made. I've got to be honest, I looked at the team and could understand them all. And the, 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 you know, the beauty was he came out with that 1-0 win, which yeah. was vital, as you say. Really was vital that we, we picked that up. I do, I do have to say, though, you know, just picking up on what you said earlier, I think we've said many, many times this year, must win game. This yeah. is an absolute cruncher. It's, it's the season that I've heard that the most for any team. Every time, Burton Albion at home, cruncher. Bristol Rovers, cruncher. Yeah, Swindon, cruncher. Got to win. I've heard it so many times this year. And it just goes to show, doesn't it, that what you think is crucial yeah. doesn't always necessarily turn out to be crucial, you know, because we're still in there fighting, hanging in and, and, and got a half a chance. Thankfully, though, for the uh, maybe the first time of these must-win games, Charlton actually won this one, which makes a big difference from the Burton Albion and the Swindon games and all those other ones. But I think, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting thing that you said there. Both the, the, the Motson move and just the general way he set out the team, I think it was really doing what, what you were saying there, which was to solidify everything because he's a pretty attacking manager, Nigel Atkins, and at his previous clubs that he's been at, he's really played very open attacking football, wanting to keep a lot of the ball, wanting to really dominate the ball, wanting to really be on the front foot. But he's come in at an interesting time in the season where he doesn't have a full season to get his ideas across. He doesn't have a preseason to get his ideas across. He's got 10 10 games and he has to do what he can in this 10 game period to get the club as many points as possible and rightfully I think he's looked at it and said we can't keep conceding goals if we want to start winning games if we want to start picking up points we can't keep uh, conceding goals and so he clearly values Matson as a player and values what he can bring to the team but is just worried about how he can potentially be compromised on defense. So moving him into the tack, you keep what he brings to the table positively, but you limit the risk. And I think a big part of what he's kind of doing as a whole right now is trying to limit the risk as much as possible. And then at the same time, you know, getting that early goal just makes such a big difference because then all of a sudden you don't have to necessarily be pushing bodies forward all the time. You can't afford to take a seat, a set, a step back, especially when you're playing a team like Doncaster who really were pretty toothless up front. I mean, it's not a knock on Omar Bogle, but if you have Omar Bogle as your number one striker, like we saw in the first half of the season, you're probably not scoring that many goals and getting the early goal and then being able to take a step back. It seemed to work really perfectly. And obviously a, a big thing in this game, a, a huge thing, was the return of Ryan Innes. And Ryan Innes played a lot at the start of the season, was fantastic. 
then was injured for pretty much the entire season. I looked at some of the statistics, and I was shocked to find out he's only played seven games this season because it's felt like he's been such a big presence, even if it's only been in a few games. But he's kept six clean sheets in those seven games. And so just if you could just talk about uh, his impact a little bit, what you've seen from, from Ryan in this, and then what you saw when he returned. Well, obviously, the game I watched, uh, I haven't seen him previously this season. I've, I've, I'll be brutally honest about that. But he is what I would say uh, a signing that you make based on the league you're in. Mm-hmm. So, and that's no disrespect to Ryan at all. That's more to do with you. If, if you come into League One, you, you've got kind of two ways of looking at it. What's your budget? If my budget's good, then I want to bring in a seasoned, experienced centre half who's six foot four, who knows how to defend his penalty box. And if I can have two of those, uh, and I can get away with the, you know, with them in my budget, then great. Because I go, I go into talking about what Nigel did about the spine mm. of the team. He made it very, very strong. And he led his flakier players out wide in attacking areas, which is generally what you do. Mm. So you, it, 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 if you put your physically less, um, you know, stronger, your, 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 your physically weaker players, sorry, in wider front areas, they can do whatever they want. They, they can jump out of a tackle. They can take people on and lose balls in the final third, and it doesn't matter. But if you've got to take a risk on a younger player and you've got to play him left back or centre half, which is where I'm going to go with, which is where I was going with, if you've got Innes and Pierce, that is fantastic. They're two strong, experienced players that know how to defend the penalty box. Right? If you're, say, um, who can I think of? AFC Wimbledon or Bristol Rovers, and your budget's not great, you're probably going to have to loan an under 23 player from somewhere, or you're going to have to put in one of your uh, younger players in a defensive position. and and that's not a problem because, you know, if your budget's low, then you're trying to develop those younger players to maybe sell on. But what comes with that is less knowledge of the game, less, um, uh, less understanding in your decision-making. So um, uh, if I look at the Fulham game that was at Sunday, centre-half makes a mistake at one all. They go 2-1 down. Now, he was not bad, actually. Physically, he's good. He's quick. Um, you know, he's quite an intelligent, good ball player but he made a mistake at a crucial decision that's cost Fulham the three points. And that's, mm. that's what happens generally. Now, by putting in this back alongside Pierce, you've got two very, very intelligent, experienced guys that know how to defend the penalty box and probably will come up with a set-piece goal or two mm-hmm. for you as well in the other penalty box. You know, and that makes your spine suddenly look very strong. You've got Prattley sat in front, another really experienced guy. You go to the top of the field, you've got Stockley. Very experienced, another physically strong guy. And Gilby playing off behind him. Not, not so much physical, but he's an intelligent player. Mm. So the spine of your team is suddenly very strong. You've got Forster Kasky as well. He's in brilliant form. You know, a very intelligent football player. And that is the, that is the centre of your team. And it's very, very strong. You've got then two fullbacks that are experienced as well. Okay, so that's what he's done. They're, they're two good physical presence. And they've got experience. And then your two youngsters are the two forward wide players. And you don't mind them. Go on, have a free roll. Cause chaos for me. You know, I don't care if you want to be positive in the final third, take as many players on as you like. Um, and that look, and that's how Nigel set up that side on, on that good Friday against Doncaster. And I, I, I thought it was the right thing to do. There are going to be other reasons as well, Benji. You know, there are going to be other reasons. He's walked in the door I don't know. You might have a much better idea than me about who's in contract, who's out of contract. You'll have a much better idea of all the lone players that won't be here next season. And Nigel's got half an eye on all that to mm-hmm. deal with as well as the tactical side of it. Okay, So as well as making his spine strong and et cetera, et cetera, and the tactics of the game, 
He's also got half an eye on who's going to be here next year, who's not. Characters, what characters he wants to be here next year, the ones he doesn't mind upsetting now to the end of the season because he doesn't care if they're here next year. He won't tell him that. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not going to come out, you know, and he's not going to let you know who they are. But he is consciously making those decisions every day in training. Someone does something that you think, yeah, I don't quite like that. I'll remember that. I'll just jot mm-hmm. that down in my memory banks. And he's making all those adjustments to the squad now. And, uh, you know, I think when we spoke when, when Johnny Jackson took the side for that one game, and I said, I'd just give it to Johnny for... You know, for, for, it was more with the heart, wasn't it? You wanted Johnny to take it to the end of the season. Bit of momentum. Come on, he, he can, he, he'll be the guy that gets us up. But you can kind of see why an owner goes, actually, no, I want Nigel Atkins mm-hmm. in now and I want him to have a look at this team and I want him to assess this squad and he can then filter out exactly what he doesn't want and we can start sitting down and finding realistic replacements and targets for next season. So, you know, although I spoke with the heart, and said I'd give it to Johnny, I fully appreciate now, actually, after seeing what Nigel's done, why you would have brought Nigel in and gone, right, bang, tell me what we need to do as an owner. And I think Nigel's doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And as you, as you said, it gives him sort of this, this time to take stock and to really evaluate his players. And players have to be sort of at their maximum right now because not only are they playing for a new manager and trying to impress a new manager and show that they deserve game time down the stretch, but they're also a lot of them are playing for potential new contracts and potentially a chance to sort of restart under a new manager with a new contract. And Ryan Innes is one of the players who actually has a contract that will be going on past the season. So he's clearly being looked at as someone who will hopefully be a big player in this, whatever happens next, whether Charlton are in the championship or league one. And it, it, it's just it's it's hard to say in a long term because he's only played seven games, but he really looks at this point like someone who yeah. can kind of change the complexion of your team because he's so dominant in the air, both boxes. He clearly makes everyone around him feel very comfortable. So I was hoping to ask you from your time playing, it could be a defender, it could be an attacker. If there was a player who you felt sort of came in and just kind of changed things for the whole team, maybe it was emotionally or in terms of his actual play. Uh, that's a very good question, actually. I, I think in terms of confidence as a defender, mm. your, keeper's quite, your keeper's quite vital. The guy behind you, if he's telling you the right things, he's talking to you, he's communicating, he's telling you, you've got your eye on something else, and he's telling you where the centre forward is. Goalkeepers, for me, made a big difference because when you learn to trust your keeper, if you've got a keeper you don't trust and he's shouting things, you're not really taking any notice because you don't trust him. Yeah. And when I, have, when I have a keeper behind me that I trust, you don't even have to look. When he shouts what he shouts, you just do it, knowing it's going to be right. Um, so for me, there was always, it was always making sure the goalkeeper behind me was, was, was a goalkeeper I trusted. And there have been times when there's ones you don't, their shouts are a little bit wayward. Um, but if there was a player that used to come into the side, that would make a difference, I'd probably have to go with Rufus. Um, just purely because of his physical presence next to me personally. Mm. So if, I had, if Rufus came back next to me, I knew I could play a certain way and I knew he'd go and attack everything almost. And he didn't, I mean, Richard didn't talk. He was not a talker. But physically, he covered a lot of ground and he was very, very aggressive. And I just used to sort of sweep up behind him a little bit and watched the game and he just he just made a uh, a physical presence next to me if you if you're talking about this is what I mean about you know when you ask a question like that 
there's different reasons for different things. Like I used to, like if you had Mark Kinsella in front of you, you know, so Mark, if we miss Mark, when Mark was in his prime, right, and he came out the side, you knew he'd come out the side. And then when he came back in, you knew he, you know, it made a difference. And this is, I'm talking about him when he's absolutely in his prime. He was flying, right? He would make a big difference to me personally again, because he would, he worked so hard in front of me that hardly anything got through, if I'm honest. He was, you know, I'm probably underplaying my role, well, everyone else's role. But Mark, Mark, for energy, for passion, for, for ground covered, was quite exceptional. Mm. Um, and, uh, and he made a difference when he came in, for sure. I mean, obviously, you know, there's, there's another side to it with goal scorers. When you lose a top goal scorer for three or four games, that has a massive impact on you. Suddenly, the side knows if it concedes one, you haven't got your star striker in scoring your two goals up the other end. That can have an impact. But yeah, for me personally, I like to keep it like a trust behind me. Rufus next to me, because of just purely because of his physical presence. He could do all the running that I didn't particularly want to do and he was nice and aggressive against the centre forward he used to soften the centre forward up for me and then I'd clear it all up a little bit later <laughs> but yeah so there's different reasons for different players you know uh, for positions and again like I said if you if you when everyone's you know when you have a squad of about 16 17 which we did in the late 90s early 2000s we really did have a squad of 20 players and as far as I can remember Everyone batted for everyone else. If you're out the team, you weren't bitter or you didn't look and go, oh, this is unfair or you just got on with it and you just wanted your place back because it was such a good team to be involved in. Um, and that's my fond memory, actually, of that sort of particular period was you could come in for five games, come out for one or two and everybody just got on with it. There was no bad feelings. There was no you know, ill feeling towards anybody that was playing in front of you. You just got on with it. But yeah, there's there's always two or three players that you you know are missing, Benji. Yeah. You know, yeah. But mine's rather selfish. It's all around me. Centre <laughs> midfielder in front, centre centre half next to me, goalkeeper behind me. If I've got if I've got them three firing all cylinders, I haven't got to do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Underselling yourself ever so slightly, but still that the uh... You were blessed to play with uh, quite a few impressive players, both in front of you, mm. behind you, up front. But um, something I thought was interesting, sort of speaking on the topic of players leaving the team, coming back in, something that I thought was very interesting that, that, that Atkins did on Friday was that he brought back Alex Gilby to start. Gilby, we haven't seen him since, I think, mid-January against Peterborough. He uh, was injured for a while. Then he got injured again playing for the under-23s while he was working to come back. And obviously now he's back again. And I thought, you know, He's had a difficult season, Alex Gilby. He came as a player with, with quite a, a, a good reputation. He came with back-to-back uh, -back player of the season awards for MK Dons. And there was a lot of pressure on him at the start, especially because he came before Charlton could actually make a lot of signings. He was one of the few that arrived before Sangard took over. And the first month, he was, I thought, very good. Then he got a pretty serious injury, was out for a while. And when he came back, he never quite reached those standards again. Now he's one of, you know, many players that get sort of a new start under Adkins. And while it wasn't a perfect performance, just want to hear your thoughts on, on how he played. And then also just a player coming back from that long out, what do you sort of look for in them? Because they're not going to do everything perfectly. 
No, they're not. And, and actually, it was a point I, I, I meant to make on Ryan Innes earlier, actually, mm-hmm. but I got uh, my usual stuff. Ben, you got completely sidetracked with other <laughs> garbage that we were that I wanted to throw in. But 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 there's always going to be a rustiness about your performance when you have a period out. And and, and again, some players can have uh, six months out. Richard, I'm saying Richard Rufus a lot, but Richard had a cruise ship once. And I promise you, he trained for two weeks, came back and played like he hadn't missed a day, which is galling for someone like me because I can miss two weeks and I've almost got to have a pre-season again. So it's, you know, every every individual is 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 different on that. But 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 I thought Ryan Innes in particular, watching him as a centre-half, he just knew when to extend himself, knew when he needed to just hold back and not track a runner into a corner or, or mm. call somebody back in or practically in front because he managed his physical, the physical side of the game very, very well. He knew how much he could extend himself and knew when he had to hold back. Whereas, unfortunately, with Gilby, he has to just run. <laughs> you know, he's in a position where he's got to go try and get beyond Stockley. He's got to try and pick up the pieces. He's then got to get back in behind defensively. And I know Nigel waxed lyrical about his performance, didn't he, mm. after the game. And... Although it wasn't, for me, an outstanding performance, I didn't think it was an off-the-chart performance. You have to, when, you, when, you, when you put into the mix how long he's been out, maybe a lack of confidence there because of how long he's been out. It, you know, maybe he's physically feeling the pressures because you know, he, he desperately wants to get through 90 minutes but knows the amount of running he's got to do, he's not going to be able to. Um, when you put all that into the mix, then I think the performance was excellent, particularly... Um, when he's not featured as much as he wanted to, mm. you know, and 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 that that can play a part, you know, when you are fit and you're not getting in the side, you're thinking, well, what a move this is turning into. Come down to Charlton, I want to play every week, and here I am with a bad injury, and now I can't even get in the side. So, I thought in that respect, his performance was terrific. Uh, again, he's a player that probably, unfortunately, just as he gets up to speed, we're going to see the end of the season, and we've got quite a few like that. You know, and, and and quite a few of them are only going to be able to have two two weeks off or so, and they're going to have to do some work again to keep their fitness levels up. Otherwise, it will be like starting again for them. But yeah, I I quite liked the way Nigel again made sure that Gilby knew that the manager got his back, was praising him, giving mm. him a lot of positivity to go away with because he'll probably know deep down he's not feeling, you know, one hundred percent confident, one hundred percent physically fit and I think it's great when a manager pulls you out as an individual when you've when you've been having a little bit of a tough time and I don't mean performance wise I mean you know in terms of a footballer wants to play he just wants to play football and Gilby's not been doing that so in that respect I thought that was excellent man management from Nigel. Mm. Yeah for for me I think the big thing with with Gilby's performance was that he needed to make sure he didn't take a step back and in a lot of the previous games that he's played a lot of the recent previous games he got subbed off after at halftime against Rochdale in the 4-4 draw back in January he then played just 3 minutes of the next game against Bristol Rovers and 11 minutes of the game after that against Peterborough he really hasn't been able to take steps forward even when he's played in recent games and for me the the the, the game against Doncaster on Friday the biggest thing for him was just to make sure that he actually took a step forward it didn't have to be a perfect performance he didn't have to do everything right which he didn't um but he took a step forward and he made it clear that he can be picked for the next game 
in coming weeks. He's not a liability. He's someone who can be relied upon. And, and, I, and that's, I think, extremely important for his own confidence, extremely important for the team to know that they have him as an option. And he's, I think he does offer something a little bit different to pretty much any of the central midfielders where he's got the fitness and the energy to get beyond the striker and link up up front as well as get back. And while Charlton have a lot of very good central midfielders, I mean, Jake Forster-Kasky tends to be a little bit everywhere. Obviously, Darren Prattley, Ben Watson know what they're doing, Albie Morgan. I don't think they quite have someone with the driving, penetrating runs that Gilby has. And so if he can get him involved as being a, a prominent member of the squad, I think the reward will be, will be quite great for both the team and Gilby himself. Yeah, and, and listen, there's nothing better for a manager than to have options. So if you've, you know, Gilby, who's, who's been on the edge or the fringe of the team under, under the previous manager, suddenly, and, and this happens a lot to a lot mm. of players where a new manager comes in and it's a breath of fresh air for you because you've been on the fringes. You've not been, for whatever reason, and, 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 and it, you know, there's no criticisms here because every manager can see the game completely differently and they can see a character in front of them. One doesn't like the character, the other one does, right? And, and, Listen, that happens up and down the country at every football club where a new manager comes in and where you had a player before who was guaranteed to start every week, new manager doesn't quite like what he does, doesn't, doesn't see it the same way. Um, and so for all the players that have been playing, they're like, oh, I hope the new manager likes me. For the ones that haven't been playing or been on the fringes, they can suddenly hit the ground running. Listen, have a look at me, please. I want to get back in this team. And I think, um, you know, there are casualties in that as well. So as much as, players that weren't playing can come back and, and impress another manager. Ones that have been playing every week, they can be a casualty. You know, the new manager doesn't mm -hmm. quite like them and they've gone from playing every week in League One. Suddenly they're substitutes, suddenly they're out of the squad. You know, and that's the cruelty of football. That's the cruelty of being a football player. Things can change very, very quickly in a matter of weeks. Mm. And it's all completely subjective to what the manager mm. wants and what the manager feels, even if you've been playing well or you think you've been playing well or it doesn't really matter once a new manager comes in and obviously now it's a very tight promotion race Charlton are in the race which is in itself pretty incredible because they were really struggling for quite a while but they are still in the race they've got a genuine shot at a playoff spot along with quite a few other teams you yourself have been involved in in a few different promotion races some successful some not successful um, you've made the playoffs a few <laughs> times as a player what in, in, in sort of the final run in the last let's say eight ten games seven games whatever it is what do you think makes the difference when everyone is so closely matched is it having a strong defense? Is it momentum? What, what do you think gets a team from being in the race to actually getting that spot? I mean, you're, you're really throwing some quality questions at me today, <laughs> to be fair, Benji, because in terms of, I can only give you how I feel Absolutely. or how I felt. And it wasn't a case really of going, um, I think we are, you know, or the team thought it was brilliant and we had confidence. And it, you, we were brought up by a manager who were, literally was one game at a time. Wow. That was it. It was just one game at a time. And although we could all look at the league table and go, like, so, so Charlton fans now will be looking at the league table three weeks ago, it was over. We weren't getting playoffs. You know, now they're suddenly looking at it and all the teams have played around us. And the, the games have almost leveled up, not quite, but almost mm -hmm. leveled up. And suddenly they're sitting there going, 
we're only three points off the playoffs and we've got to play Lincoln. You know, this, there's a chance. And, and like I said to you, that bump of positivity with Nigel's appointment, suddenly everybody's really thinking there is a real big opportunity that we can do this now. Now, under Curbs, we were a side that was very much brought up one game at a time. And if you win, I don't want to see any, you know, egos or big head players walking around thinking we've made it. By the same token, if we get beat, I don't want your jaw written the floor and I don't want you miserable. Now, within that, constraint you've got the individual so steve brown how does he take that actually steve brown was very much like that didn't really make a fuss about anything just got on with it i was blessed to be a football player i love putting the shirt on every week and i tried my hardest every week to win the game actually when when the result came in at the end your sunday was a bit better if you'd won it, it was a little bit sadder if you lost but either way I wasn't going to let it affect me too much I was just going to make sure that I was prepared to train Monday and go again and try and impress my manager to pick me the following week mm. now you do get on roles Benji where you feel super confident you know you, you, you win win draw win draw loss win 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 and suddenly you're thinking yeah we're a good side and you know you're a good side you don't have to be told you're a good side you don't have to tell anyone you're a good side you just know you are you know you can compete with the best in the league and then it's then it's a case of trusting everybody trusting everyone to make the right decisions at the right times if I'm under pressure in a corner and there's three minutes to go and it's one all and we're away at say Lincoln or we're away at Sunderland like Saturday mm. I'm going to make the right decision that gets us the point because that point could be vital and when you've got though that trust and you've got a squad that you know believes in itself got a bit of confidence a bit of morale and uh, you know, you have a solid base of players that, by and large, are unselfish. They make the right decisions for each other. Um, you don't need to be told anything. You just trust that it will it will come good. Um, but yeah, a lot of football players only really look at the next game. They don't look at it like we look at it now. Mm -hmm. So I'm now the other side of the fence, and I I, I look at the running as a whole. That's the manager's job to look at the running. It's the coach's job to look at the running. Players don't necessarily worry about the running. They're only worried about Sunderland. Am I playing at Sunderland? Mm -hmm. Can we get a result at Sunderland? Right? And then when it becomes physically not possible to make the playoffs, then they'll you know, scratch their heads and have the concerns. And if they get in the playoffs, then they'll start concentrating on how they're going to perform in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. But there is very much a different mentality when you're sat in a dressing room to when you're sat outside a dressing room looking in thinking they must be thinking about all this. They must be, and they're actually not. They're just, mm. by and large, thinking about the next game and hoping they're getting picked to play. That's, that's you know, that's the big crux of it, mm. is that you want to play. You're a professional footballer. And I, I, don't know, I don't know many professional footballers, Benji, that work all week and are happy sitting on the substitutes bench and in the stand. So, you know, that's, that's their biggest, their biggest um, focus is just playing, making sure they're in the team, making sure they're, they're, they're physically in a great condition to impress the manager during the week, to get in that team at the end of the week, and then impressing him again during that 90 minutes to get picked the following week. And everything else sort of rolls and comes with it. Equally, Benji, you know when you're not a good side. You know when you, you are in a side. That, I've been in a side that struggled in the championship. We've just about kept our head above water. And you know that you're not going to compete against the better teams. If you do beat one, it's because they've probably underperformed and you've overperformed. But you do know that you're not quite in there with the big guns of the league. And that slowly changes over time. And you add an additional player here, an additional player there. And you think, we're stronger now. We're stronger mm -hmm. than we were last year. 
And with us, I've know I've said this before, but when we signed the Hunts and the Mendonkers and they gave us that ability to score goals, we suddenly, you know, we had the Kinsellas and the Joneses and the Parkers and the, you know, it, we just knew we were becoming a good side. And uh, yeah, and 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 you roll you roll from game to game, knowing that you've got a much better chance with this squad of of achieving bigger things. So it's it's not that they sit there as a team going. We could, you know, we're going to go on a hell of a run. Literally, they just want to beat Sunderland Saturday, and then we'll talk about the next game after that. And, well, and we guess, did anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, you can only really speak for the dressing rooms you were a part of, but um, fortunately, your career was long enough that you were part of quite a few dressing rooms. So you give us lots of good knowledge and information. But I guess the the big difference between a player and fans is that. Fans know what they're doing for the game every weekend. They're sitting there and they're going to watch it. Whereas the players, they're focused on if they're actually going to play. And so fans can afford to look at all the permutations. They can watch the other team. They can follow the points, see how they're doing. But if players take their eye off the ball of working as hard as I can to get picked on Saturday, then they may not get picked. And then that's their whole, their whole week, their whole season sort of coming down the drain. And then you spoke about if, if you're that player that's, that's taking his after ball and he's not in the team and your contract's up, where, where, when's, where's your next contract coming? You're, mm-hmm. you're in London, you're at Charlton, you're in League One. Is the next offer League Two up north? You know, and that's the other side of it. Are you having to move your family? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's pressures that come uh, every season for somebody. I, my, my first seven contracts were one-year deals. Wow. So this, this time of year for me, if I haven't been offered a new contract, I'm starting to panic, mm. right? And, and, and I'm starting to think, right, I'm not getting anything here. I'm going to get moved on. Now, luckily for me, around about this time, March, April, Curbs would always have given me the, you know, you, don't worry about next year because he knows, he know, I was a sort of player, I, I just need to know my future. Mm. Once I know my future, once you give me the nod, I'm great. But for any player that's out of contract, Benji, we'd say, uh, eight games to go, nine games to go. Um, they're going to have, and their future's not secure. They're also going to have half a brain, sorry, half a thought on. I can't get injured here because mm. if I get if I get a bad injury now, I'm going into summer with no contract, a bad injury, and no other club. So they start going into protection mode. And these are so when we were talking earlier about Nigel Atkins weighing things up, players have to weigh things up. Mm. You know that that sixty four that sixty forty against. You might not go in for it because if you, you know, your ankle ligaments snap or your knee ligaments snap and you're out for nine months, you've got no contract next mm-hmm. year. You know, so there's all those permutations that come into it. I, I, I never really got to that point. I never, being a defender, I never, I never ever pulled out of any challenge ever, right? But there were times when I didn't have a contract. In in sort of going into March, April, I might have gone into early discussions. But nothing was sorted out. And and football being football, I, I break a leg or snap a cruciate, those those contract talks are gone. Yeah, they're not they're gone. Yeah. You know, you 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 if you're at a good club, they'll give you a year to get you fit again. If you're at a bad club, tough luck. You know? I think I think I think they might put you on a month to month to pay you until you're fit. I think you have to do that. Uh, I don't know if times have changed or not. Obviously, I haven't been involved in, in that side of things for a very long time. But I think a club's only obligation is to make sure that they uh, obviously pay for the operation, 
mm. and rehabilitate you to a point where that you, you you know you can rehabilitate yourself. So you know you're strong enough to go and run by yourself in a park or do the weights by yourself in a gym if you want. That's their only obligation, and they can do that by offering you a month a month. Mm. You know, so um, yeah, all those things come into play. But uh, yeah, look, it, it's it, it is. I, I don't like. We've had this discussion before. I don't like sides that are heavily foot filled with loan signings mm. for that reason alone. You know, they all know their futures at their respective parent clubs yeah. Or, yeah or, or if it's not you know like we'll, we'll have one or two signings that that, that you know are, are thinking already about next season about trying to get into their their parent clubs you know mm. and, and that's why i think you can have one or two but i think beyond one or two loan signings you start getting into the realms of you, you haven't got enough in the team caring about your club and your yeah. squad you I, know and I guess the, the interesting thing is that, at least just looking from the outside, I could also see it, not, not necessarily for the lone players, but for players who have expiring contracts in the summer, which, as we know, is quite a few Charleston players in the squad. I yeah. guess that's also being the flip side, where players are wanting to give more and feeling like they need to give more to try to get that contract that, that hasn't been offered yet or maybe hasn't been offered yet. But at the same time, obviously, it makes sense if you have eight games to go in the season and you haven't been offered a new contract – you can understand how a player would think I'm actually not going to get offered a new contract, no matter how I play. Yeah. So better make sure I'm in a position where I can get a, the next contract at another club. But it's, it, as you said, it's right. And, and that's, that's the other thing. You haven't even bought in an agent yet. Mm. So an agent is, is phoning his player going, I'm not happy with this situation. You know, I'm looking around now, you know, and, and, and an agent, they're, they're not all bad. I, I, I know a couple of agents that are excellent. Uh, and, and, and they are really superb at looking after their players. But there are other agents that throw in little curveballs, you know, particularly around January, February time. Well, actually, particularly December, January time. And then once January shuts down, they leave you alone till, you know, May and June, <laughs> <laughs> where they can try, try, and, try and get some more money out here for another move. But it's, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a side of football that you... you tend to ignore you just think football players are happy you know they're football players uh you know how can they how can they not be happy but actually there's an awful amount that goes on within football that makes you unhappy mm. uh, and obviously obviously have not having a contract really will play on your mind quite a lot having it you know being injured is is one of the hardest things when when you know, you don't quite know how you're going to be when you come out the other side of it. That really affects you mentally. Uh, and then obviously we all have our day-to-day -day stuff. You know, we all have families, wives, kids, mums and dads, brothers, sisters, you know, and there's all those things that can affect you as well. So, you know, I, I, I do feel it's, it's a side I don't miss. I don't miss. I don't miss that having to worry about negotiating with a club again. And I only had two clubs and I was very fortunate. Charlton always sort of came to me around my, my first two and a half year contract wasn't until I was 25, 26. Wow. So from eight, yeah. So from 18 to 26, I had one year contracts every year. Wow. But to be fair to Curbs, he always said to me, it was always, it, they always use my knee as, as the reason. You know, you've had a cruciate ligament injury. And back then in the early 90s, cruciate ligament injuries were almost career enders. Uh, and so every year I'd go in and they'd go, right, we're only going to give you a year because we're not quite sure about your knee. And, I, you know, after about the third or fourth year, like, seriously, I played 150 <laughs> games, <laughs> you know. But Richard Murray was 
you know, it's all a business, isn't it? It's a game. Yeah. So, you know, and I could have at any stage gone, you know what, you can smoke it. I'm leaving. I could have done, but I didn't, you know, because I, did, I, I liked where I was. I liked mm-hmm. the club. Where I lived, it was an easy journey for me. I didn't have to move home. Um, and I always think there's, there's a price on your happiness. You can afford to take a contract slightly less if it keeps you happy. I'm, I really am a firm believer in being happy in mm. terms of, I could have, uh, you know, I could have left. I might have got more money somewhere else. But it, it wasn't about that. It was about knowing my surroundings, liking the people that I was with. And I've, I've spoken about this before with you about, about happy working environments. Mm. It makes a massive difference to you as a person if you're in a good working environment. And if you're not in a good working environment, it doesn't matter what money you're on. You're going to be miserable. And you're going to take that home. So in, in that respect, I just wish they'd offered me a, a, a multi-year deal much earlier. That's all. <laughs> They would have been rewarded for it too, but I mean, I guess we can only look at that in the past now. But I mean, mm. obviously, it's it's an interesting one because, as you said, clubs, you know, they're run as businesses. They have been for a long time, and so seeing someone like yourself who had a serious knee injury, even if it was four years earlier or whatever it was, they're thinking we don't want to put too much money into someone who, in theory, could get injured, but then obviously went on and played. 200 plus games so that really yeah. was misguided or just in your case wrong well, you you have to give them credit because it is a business mm. so i would say that from their perspective they've 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 done well mm. you know they've they've kept they've, they've kept me at yeah they've kept me at charlton for 12 years they didn't pay me particularly well and they only ever give me one year deal so from their perspective if you stuck Richard Murray on this Zoom chat, he'd go, yeah, we were really delighted with our, our negotiations with Brownie. I mean, they would have lost in other contracts, but yeah, in that respect, as a business, you've got to give Charlton a bit of credit and a bit of a pat on the back for keeping me at the club for next to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm sure, I'm sure fans will be delighted that they managed to keep you, whatever the cost was. But looking back sort of at a this run-in and then looking back at some of the run-ins that you played, and I've got the yeah. on this week in Brownie's career, and it's a, it's a fun one this week. And then afterwards, we'll get to a few questions from listeners. But it's a fun one because this week in the 1995-96 season, you – yeah, not not the worst season, not the best season. Ended up getting into the playoffs just about after um, a very close race. And with seven games to go, actually, on this exact week, you all went and traveled and played at Sunderland and drew nil-nil. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, we played all right as well. We played very, very well. I think, um, I, I, I think we probably, it was a tight game, really tight. Yeah. And I think, I think you'll find if you looked up the crowd, it was a huge crowd for a, for a midweeker, you know, in terms of what, what we received, um, you know, in terms of uh, travelling sport would have been minimum because it was a midweeker, wasn't it? Mm. Was it a midweeker or a weekend? It was a midweeker, wasn't it? I was midweek. Yeah. If this is a game I'm thinking of, it was a midweeker and the crowd was enormous. Um, but yeah, I think we had a couple of chances to win that one. Um, we were a little bit disappointed coming away that we, we ended nil-nil. But yeah, that, that season, who did we lose to, Benji, in the playoffs? Was it Palace? It was Palace, yeah. I was yeah, say yeah, maybe we should double, have that. <laughs> double kick in the nuts, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I remember, in fact, I played both those games, yeah. Or well, certainly played the away game because I remember, yeah, I remember a couple of challenges I made which were quite good. But the, the, the fact of the matter was, I, you know, when I spoke to you earlier about you know when you're not quite good enough and you know when you're good enough, 
that particular year, I would have said we weren't ready. Mm. Uh, we got there. We got into the playoffs because we just ground out results because, yeah. you know, that's what we were about. But I don't think we had the quality across mm. the squad to deserve to go up that year. There were better sides in the league than us. So if we had got up, we would have really, really struggled in the mm. Premier League. It would have been, a, it would have been a, a step too far. And I do believe that actually when we went up, we were in a much better position as a squad to go up. Mm. And that's what I mean about as much as it's great for the fans that we made the playoffs, um, you know, no one likes losing the Crystal Palace at the best of times, not even friendlies. But um, the fact of the matter is, I'm not sure we were ready as a squad, we were, you know, we had a lot of weaknesses in that squad mm. that particular time that w- that we needed to strengthen before we were ready. And uh, uh, you know, kudos to Curbs for getting us into the playoffs with a side that was probably we were probably punching above our weight a little bit at that point. But it, it, it you know, it came eventually. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> we got there eventually. Yeah, it's an interesting one because, as you said, you made it into the playoffs really by grinding out results. I mean, as as well as this nil-nil with Sunderland, four of the final seven games of that season ended nil-nil, and you only conceded three goals in the final seven games as a whole. And while it ended up, as you said, you know, the team probably wasn't good enough, and that, I guess, is a reflection of the team not being good enough, it is in some ways, I guess, a blueprint for this season of how the team can get into the playoffs, you know, by, by having a defense that just doesn't concede goals and you give yourself a chance in every game and you have the ability to pick up points even when you're not at your best. And, you know, I think you could make an argument that this current Charlton team is probably not good enough for the championship and they'll need huge reinforcements regardless of what division they're in. But this could sort of be a blueprint of how they could get into the playoffs this yeah. season. The beauty of, of Charlton at the moment is, is, is whether they need to make multiple changes or not, for mm. League One next year, or if they were to sneak in for the championship, they do have an owner yeah. that which we didn't have at that time, who will potentially, I'm not saying he's definitely going to do it, but mm. potentially could put his hand in his pocket to make us a strong side if we can get the right recruitment in over the summer were we to go up to the championship. And that's a crucial difference. Back when Curbs was taking us and back when Curbs and Gritty was taking us, we were beg stealing and borrowing. And even in the 95-96 season, I don't remember us spending a lot of money. So we were still, we were still very much a selling club. If you, we had any asset, they were gone. And, um, and that's the difference, I think. So in terms of a blueprint, I always say, uh, and it's been a famous cliche for many, many, many decades, um, strikers win your games, defences win your championships. And you'll hear that from any manager. If you've got, and we go back to that strong spine, if you have a strong spine and it stays fit and the core of your team are solid, physical and um, experienced down that centre, you'll give yourself a chance. And I think that's what, what Nigel did in the last game. Mm. Look, there's some, there's some tough games to go, Benji. We know that. On paper, there's some really tough games. All of the but, top three still need to play. Yeah, but you know what? If you're gonna if you're gonna do it, you're gonna have to beat sides like that. We listen. Mm. We've dropped some serious points against teams in the bottom four, right? So why can't we reverse that and pick up some points against the teams in the top six? Mm. So you know, never rule it out. They're, they're, like I said earlier, you can never underestimate confidence, morale, and positivity. Now mm. we don't. You know, it's been a the two took Wimbledon. I thought was a mistake. Right, I, I thought that was on us. It was on Charlton that we drew 2-2. Two, two. 
The Doncaster results on Nigel, he's changed, he's made his changes, they performed brilliantly. I, I, I personally looked at the squad and thought, I really like what he's done, <laughs> I really did like what he did. Um, but that's not to say you're going to go out the next game and get a result. Mm. But, uh, you know, the signs are really good, the place is buoyant, there should be some confidence. You know, it's not just about Doncaster's result. Actually, mm-hmm. recent results have been very, very good. And there should be a, right, there should be a confidence and, there, uh, you, you know, and, and there should have been a morale boost. You know, and, 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 and hopefully, if you, I mean, it's a tough, I mean, Sunderland are, pro, that's probably the toughest game. Sunderland away and they've got Lee, uh, is it Lee Johnson? Yes, Lee, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And, and he, yeah, he's, he's cut, he, I thought he was extremely unlucky to lose his job at Bristol City. They plummeted down the league since yeah. he's left. And I thought he was extremely unlucky. I wonder if there was something else going on behind the scenes that's led to that. He's picked up a potentially what could be a massive job. Because if he gets Sunderland up, that is, that is a stadium that will sell out. Mm. 44,000, bang, it's done. Right? And if you make a success there... You'll, you'll fill that stadium no problem at all. Now, his results have picked up. They suddenly look like a decent side and they've got a striker who scored a hatful of goals. Yep. You know, and that's, what, and that's probably the, the difference. Our, we've got a couple in, in double figures. They've got one that's sailing out there. Right? And that's kind of what I was saying about Mendonca and Hunt. You know, we, could, we could go 2-0 down and it wasn't over. You know, you, you know, and so, you know, but if I go back to the 95-96 squad, that squad went 2-0 down. It was kind of over, you know, and that's what I mean about the confidence and morale within the belief of the of the squad itself. Sometimes you kind of know oh, we, we're not going to score three today. Mm-hmm. I've been I've been down at Stockport, Stockport away in the Championship. We went down early in the game. Bang, Mendonca Hunt both scored. We win three two, you know. And it's you know you can never write you can never write a team off when it's got goals in it. And Sunderland, unfortunately, have got. You know, got a good goal scorer in there that, yeah, that's winning them games. But it's a tough game, but it works both ways, Benji. It's a really tough game on paper. If you go there and win, imagine what that bus will feel like on the way home. Imagine what that journey will be like on the way home on that bus. Suddenly, you're looking, you are looking at that league table as a player on your phone going, yeah, we can do this. And you're looking around and there's smiles and there's people having your manager down the front's got a smile as wide as a Cheshire cat. He's on the internet the next day with his positive Twitter feed and suddenly there is this huge belief and that will filter out to the fans it'll filter out to me and you mm. me and you will be happy we'll be talking about it next week <laughs> and and that's what I mean about a bit of momentum a bit of confidence mm. and you can't measure it you simply can't measure what confidence and morale does to a team but like I said it's a tough fixture but if you do get something from it crikey can you imagine the, the, the training training ground on Monday oh I'd love to be there yeah. yeah, I'd like to be there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just as in 1996, I feel like a nil-nil draw wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. It'd be a, a big point. You'd take it now, wouldn't you? Yeah, You'd take absolutely. it now. Yeah, yeah, I but, would. I mean, at, at the same time, you know, obviously it's a very, very hard game and no one's going to pretend like it isn't. But I don't think Sunderland, with them being in a race for automatic promotion and their games being so important, I don't think they're looking at it and going, I want to be playing Tarleton right now. I think it's probably not one of the teams they would be hoping to play because everyone can see that the, the place is positive. They can see that the new managers come in. Results have been pretty, have been going well. So I don't think there's any reason to sort of be afraid of the game. It's, it's really, you're playing a team who's going for automatic promotion. You have a chance at doing something and continuing a special run. Let's see what happens. 
But before we before we head off, we've got a, a few interesting questions today from from our listeners. Um, first up from from Sam Clark on Twitter with a great question, and this one's a tough one. Um, you can choose yourself, but you don't have to choose yourself. If you had to pick your five aside team of players that you've played with, and again, you can choose yourself, but you don't have to. Oh, funny enough. Funny enough, I'm not going to choose myself. Okay. But I used to. Uh, but when we were, when we had five asides at the training ground. Right, and this is not this is not due to ability, Benji. I want to tell you this, but I used to train the exact same way as I played. I think we've said this before. So I was quite often first picked for a five-six site because they knew I'd absolutely throw myself into challenges, blocks, tackles. I was an absolute nuisance. Like centre forwards, it's training, Brownie. What are you doing? Don't care. I need to win this, right? And and so I was quite often first picking the five or six sides purely because they knew I was going to, you know, be desperate to win and, and train appropriately. But I wouldn't pick myself. I never would. But it, I played with some seriously good players, actually, when I look back and mm. think about the squads that, that I've played in. And there were some serious good players. They're seriously good players. And um, to pick five, just out, out like that. I, I mean, Kylie would have to go in goal. Goalie, okay. Are we four out, out four outfielders or five outfielders? I think it's one goalie and four outfielders. But, uh, right, okay. <laughs> then I'd, I'd have to go. I'd have to go Rufus just purely because he would just chew everybody alive up. He would just. He physically was so quick. He 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 could. Um, you know, stamina was exceptional. He would tackle a goalpost. Do you know what I mean? If it meant stopping a goal, so Rufus would have to be in there. I think I'd, I'd only go with one defender if I only got four forwards. I'll tell you what I'd put in front of him. I'd put Parker and Kinsella. Oh. Because, again, you're covering some serious ground. Parker could drop in and do the defensive side of it. He can also get higher up the pitch. So can Kins, to be fair. Kins could do both sides of the game. And I'd have Mendonca up front. Oh. That's my five-a-side team. The serious Kylie, team. Kylie, Rufus, Parker, Kinsella, Mendonca. Brownie in the dugout, giving them their orders. I wouldn't have to give them orders. Just go and enjoy it. Just go and enjoy it. They're all better than me anyway. Go and enjoy it. Go on. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a pretty special team. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see a five-a-side tournament with, a, with that team in there because I think they'd do some serious damage. But um, That's got some serious energy in it. Yeah. Serious energy, pace, there's challenges, there's goals. Trouble is, people see, see the game so differently, Benji. People will go, oh, definitely have a Klaus Jensen there, creativity. Yeah, but Parker just chews Klaus up. Doesn't even let him get on the ball. <laughs> <laughs> go on, go on. What's the next That's one? pretty fantastic. I mean, okay, we, we maybe only have time for one more, potentially two more, but this next question coming from CAFC underscore underscore um, asked, your toughest opponent to defend against? And we've, we've spoken about the different styles of players you enjoyed playing mm. with, but if you could pick one toughest opponent to play against, and while you played with some great players, you've played against some great players as well. Yeah. Yeah, there's, 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 I didn't like small, stocky, quick players. People like Craig Bellamy were a nightmare for me. He didn't stop running, constant pest. Verbally was always on in your ear, telling you you were rubbish, telling you he was going to run you again. Better get, catch some breath, son, because I'm going to run you again in a minute. You know, and it's like, stop it, fella. And then you end up trying to kick him. Then he laughs at you. Then you try and kick him again. Then you want to punch him in the face. He was just an absolute nightmare. People like Craig Bellamy. Henri, obviously, we spoke about because he's sheer quality. 
Then you've got people like Sheringham and Burkamp who take up positions that are horrible for centre-halves to go in, but they can't run you. They're not physical, but they're just so intelligent. Um, and then you've got people that are out and out, just horrible people, physical people. Um, Duncan Ferguson, jeez, Louise. Duncan could punch, kick, scratch. Just just a nightmare to play against. I mean, Ferguson was a handful, but I didn't mind the battles. But people like Bellamy, you know, just didn't stop running, didn't stop turning you into corners. You know, it was they were the worst nightmare for me. So I'd have to go people like Bellamy. Would he you be know, the yeah, but, had to settle on one? Would it be Craig Bellamy? Yeah, it's a tough one because it's like I said to you earlier, there's there's different reasons for different players. But yeah, Bellamy would be my kind of worst nightmare because clever players I could although they were clever, that's I was kind of that was what got me where I went, was because mm. I was quite clever, quite tactical, so I could could work out what to do. People like oh, Yeah, but people like Bellamy, just where it was just chasing for 90 minutes. You know, even now I'm rubbing my head going. I was going to say, just, I wish you could all see the pained expression on Brownie's face. Just, 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 just the ball, you know, their midfielder picks up the ball. He's got no pressure on him. And you know he's spinning in behind your shoulder. And you think, you try and drop early, but he's that quick. He's that. And, and even if you get there first, he just, he's on your shirt. He's round the side of you. And it's like, yeah, the Bellamy's of this world were hard work. Um, but if you had to nail me down, just just for it's Henri because he just mm-hmm. was exceptional. It, it was it was tell me a weakness that he had. I mean, other than he couldn't head a ball, you know, but they didn't ever put a ball up to him in the air, <laughs> you know. It, you know, his one weakness was one of my strengths, and then I never got to show him I could beat him in the air. He, he never he never edited it, but he was honestly it was like marking smoke, impossible. You know, where is he? Don't even know where he is. Ball, I'm watching the ball, he's gone. You know, and then he's and then suddenly he's in behind you, you know, one on one with your goalkeeper, and you just think this geezer's just not my cup, but he's just too good. And I've said to you before, and the, the, the listeners must understand you can get into the Premier League and you can hold your own in the Premier League, but there are levels within levels, and there are world class players, and you're just Steve Brown from Brighton who's made it as a player, who's been fortunate that his club's gone into the Premier League, you're doing everything you can to keep your head above water against most players, and then you come up against people like Henri, who are just on a different level to anything else in the Premier League. And then you've got to try and adjust to mark that and, and keep him out. And albeit we had some good results against them, actually, in, in those years. You scored uh, a goal against I know, them. I know. But it still doesn't make me anywhere near as good as Omri or, 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 or think that I can mark him out the game, Benji. You can't. There are just players that you just... I tell you, Ray Wilkins is another one. Different level. And there's hundreds of them. There's hundreds of players that are just... They're, they're on the world-class level. Mm-hmm. And all you can do is hope they have a well. You hope they're a bit complacent. They're a little bit cocky. You hope they have a bad day, and they and you hope that you are nine out of ten, and they're five out of ten. Because if they're not, if they're nine out of ten, invariably they're going to have a better day than trouble. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's. To be fair, I don't think you'll be the only defender to say that Henri was their worst nightmare. I think you'll have quite a few who uh, who feel similarly. 
But, I mean, even just the sheer fact that the Charlton as a team were able to get some good results against that really epic Arsenal team says a lot. But Henri is yeah. just he's, – he's different class to pretty much anyone who's ever played in the Premier League, let alone to who was on that Charlton team. But final question of the day before we wrap up. This comes from Sean H., on Twitter, and he has asked you if you could think back to your, your time at Charlton and think of the best performance of an initiation song and what the song was. Oh, okay, right. So we didn't we didn't have initiation okay. songs, but what we had was what we had was you had to stand up in front of the group and tell the best joke okay. that you ever heard, right? And the best one by a country mile was a little winger that we signed from West Ham called Mark Robson. And he, during dinner, he stopped everyone dinner. We were having our dinner as a squad. And he said, right, right, I've got my joke. Listen in, everybody. We all put our knives and forks down. And he did a joke that everybody was in stitches. And he acted it out. He got on the centre of the table. He was in the middle of the table doing the actions to the joke. And, um, and the punchline was, a swear word, one pound twenty, one pound twenty, one twenty, one twenty, one twenty. And it was the funniest joke um, because of Mark. Not because the joke was particularly brilliant, but because Mark played the comedian, played the part, acted it all out on the dinner table. And it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I actually find the songs, and I've been a manager and I've been a coach at teams where you have the meeting and the player comes in, he's got to do a song. I feel sorry for the player. It's cringy. Mm. I hate it. Right? That's the honest truth. I absolutely hate it. And I wish they didn't have to do it. But Mark, if you get someone like Mark, who I think can sing as well, <laughs> but if you get Mark and they do it well, as you sometimes see on the social media, when a player gets up and sings or raps or does whatever, and it's brilliant, it is brilliant. Mm. And Mark, Mark's joke was outstanding. And, and for the sake of going through maybe 10 really rubbish jokes and people being embarrassed about getting up and telling a joke, you get a Mark Robson who gets up and tells the best joke. And it was just brilliant. It was a showstopper. It, it, it was fantastic. Well, well, we'll we'll have to get him on the podcast at some point to tell us the joke, even if not to tell us anything. You else. won't, no, but Benji, this is the thing: you won't laugh. The jokes, the the jokes, immaterial. It's what he does, and it's how he did it. And when you're in a room full of twenty lads, and he's he's going through all the motions and the actions, it is. It's one of those things. Like I'm telling you now, and it was thirty years ago. You know. <laughs> So yeah. it's, it's one of those things you just don't forget. Whereas initiation songs, and I've had dozens, I can't really, uh, and this was not a Charlton, funny enough, it's not something Charlton did. Um, but this is songs at, at places I've coached. Like Bright, when I was uh, under 18's manager at Brighton, they all, they all loved an initiation song. But I couldn't tell you one of the kids that got up and sung because I find them cringeworthy. Whereas Mark's joke, I could, I could remember it like it was yesterday. Fair enough. You didn't yeah. pick out the example immediately. You didn't even have to think about it. I asked no, no, no. Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it, it, it still, look at me now. It still brings a smile to my face now. Whereas the songs don't. They make me, I sit there going, oh, please finish, please finish, get this over with so I can go back to my coaching. I don't, I don't enjoy watching people struggle in front of a group for embarrassment because yeah. they, they don't want to be there. They don't want to be doing it. But Mark... 
I mean, Mark was was like a stand-up comedian for that three minutes that he was on, and it was just it it was brilliant to watch. Fair enough. Well, anyways. That, I think, is going to be where we leave things today. We could continue talking about initiation songs, but we got to leave some material for the next podcast, which will be all about initiation songs. It won't be. Brownie doesn't like them, which is okay. (laughs) Thank you all, as always, for listening. This has been Brownie and Benji bringing you Brownie and Benji. Till next time, where we will be back. Yeah, we will see you soon.